0: Hello and thank you for joining me on Out to Lunch, the place where I break bread with the great, the good and the downright fabulous. Today I'm joined remotely by a British-Iranian actor and comedian whose first performance at Live at the Apollo in 2004 was literally one of the very best I've ever seen and I do watch a lot of them. As well as winning awards, getting his own BBC TV show and completing numerous worldwide tours, he's featured in films including The Mummy, Gladiator, Spy Game and Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. On TV recently, you may have seen him in the adaptation of His Dark Materials, or his own quiz show winning combination. It is, of course, the brilliant Omid Jalili.
1: There's 2,000 people there, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say that was me. I just died up there, and I want to tell you all, if the projector does not come back on, don't worry. After my death, the film is a piece of shit. It's all downhill. You're missing nothing. There was a silence. No one laughed. And I just heard Kirk Douglas, who just spoken to me before though He just went, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs>
0: how lovely to see you Mr
1: Raynor wallahi you are the greatest man with a chin beard like mine and hair like I could
0: only dream of Um, well I know I've got I think I've got your share is the truth when it comes to... And, and your 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 goatee is a little bit more luscious. Well, listen, welcome to Out to Lunch. Um, I just want to throw one question in, because I know there's something you want to tell me. I do research, and what's really striking, and obviously I have some skin in the game here, you've played a lot of Jews. You've done mm. Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. You've done Fagin in Oliver. Obviously, you played the lead in The infidel, which is about a guy who finds out he's Jewish. Uh, you played Herbie Bush in Calcium Kid. You even appropriated a bit of Yiddish in, you know, Schmuck for a Night, one of your tours. <laughs> and I'm just thinking... is is the reason that that's happened is there just aren't very many Jews in showbiz?
1: That's a very good <laughs> question. But I have played lots of, it's very interesting, I have played lots of Jews. And um, and I think that because I have this real love of all different cultures, it shouldn't, but it kind of has given me in the past, I'm not so sure anymore, a kind of free reign to play Jewish roles. I even played a Jewish role, an Iranian Jew for Paul Reiser, a good friend of mine. He had a show called The Paul Reiser Show, which was based on Larry, a little bit like Larry David. He was trying to do a kind of his own uh, Kirby enthusiasm, and my character there was an Iranian Jew. So
0: it was you're going to get typecast on it. I'm going to get typecast exactly. The Larry David thing. There is a sketch, of Larry David having to be a charming person to a complete stranger over lunch.
1: Yes. I'm worried. you have to be overtly entertaining. I know, you, I know you haven't paid for me to be here, but I'm really anxious that I'm going to say something to offend you now.
0: Well, you can if you like. I mean, I'm quite, you know, I'm quite thick-skinned, and it's all um, podcast gold, as they say. We all, all we want is the numbers. So if you could be really insulting uh, <laughs> and just give us something we could clip, that would be brilliant. And you, then you we...
1: look a bit like your mother, and I was a big fan of your mother's.
0: Yeah, she managed to keep the beard under control, which was. <laughs> You're the one saying the insulting things now. <laughs> Food wise, you can hear the doorbell from where you are, yes, I, I can. take it. Do
1: you want me to go have a quick check?
0: George, do you want Would you to you mind? Some, a quick check? Oh, yeah.
1: One second. Okay, so it's here. I've got I've, oh this is so exciting.
0: We always ask our guests, you know, do they have any dietries or anything? And you first of all said nothing too spicy. I mean, you did actually present a whole doc on, on you know, the rise of chilies in food. Oh, f- I think you described awful. them as you thinking they were like wasps, completely useless and pointless.
1: I told them, I, I'm the wrong guy for this. I hate chilies. It was all meant to be about the health benefits of chilies and everything. I said, I'm the wrong guy. I hate chilies. They made me eat the, the, the hottest curry in Britain, which is in Grantham, called the Widower. Have you heard of it? Oh, my God.
0: Well, I have, but only because of your your show. It's, it's something like six Naga ghost chilies in there and a Scoville oh, rating of six million. I'm
1: not kidding. I, I ate it and then a soldier's head that I had swallowed when I was seven years old literally flew out my asshole, and I found it in the toilet. It had been in my stomach for like 43 years. <laughs> It was just appalling.
0: Well, that's could, an image. It goes
1: straight through you. What have you got? This is amazing.
0: You have a great Thai restaurant in Ipswich. I'm allowed to say you yes. live in Ipswich, aren't I? Yes, I can say. Uh, called Quan Thai. Um, Never heard of it. But amazing. It's, it's a mile and a half from your house, and it's, uh, the cooking um, is particularly by a... Uh, a guy from northeastern Thailand, but we've gone very, very specific. So you've got a selection of starters for one person. So there's prawn spring rolls, uh, there's some aromatic chicken, some satay, some sesame prawn toast. I don't think that's very Thai, but, you know.
1: I love sesame
0: prawn toast. I trades. And there is one, and I should mention it, fried chicken and a Thai red wine sauce. I don't think you drink. Mm. So I don't know whether you care about is that. It here but try. that's your starters and I've got um I've gone to a Rosa's Thai a branch of which we have in Brixton where I am. It's absolutely amazing. So I've got char-grilled chicken skewers and I've gone to a branch of Rosa's Thai and I'll take you through all the other things you've got. You uh, you went to Holland Park which is a huge and infamous it has to be said comp. Do you know that school? Oh yeah, of course. I mean um, what do you you know it, it had the name of one of the plushest areas in London on it. But it was an interesting school. It turned out quite a lot of interesting people. It did. We're about the same age then? No, we're exactly the same. I think you were born 65. You've heard the story
1: with Robert Redford.
0: Hello, no, tell me that one.
1: When I, I was so nervous to meet Robert Redford for a film, I was practicing how to say hello to him. So when I was introduced to him, I said, Mr. Redford, may I say, I'm a big fan. You're the best thing in Hawaii 5 0. It's always my favorite show, especially the opening. Da, 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 da. <laughs> He didn't react, he just looked me up and down and he goes, well, thank you, um, may I say you were great in Dr
0: Zhivago, but you've let yourself (laughs) go. Did you also do it in accent? What was the film you were on with him? The film was called Spy Game.
1: Yeah, I didn't say very much, but I was meant to be a Lebanese CIA operative. That's That's what I was, yeah. Of course, of course. Holland Park School was very big on drama. We had a very strong drama department. And it, I think they must have had something in their remit where we were all constantly doing talent shows and sketches. And I did a sketch for our teacher. And he goes, "This is really good. You're going to do it." He just said, "You're going to do it in the whole school in the assembly tomorrow." And it was a very simple sketch which I picked up from a, a, a Baha'i summer school, actually. That I just kind of just nicked it. And uh, we did this in front of two thousand people. And I'd come on, and there was a friend of mine under a blanket. And I say, my name is Dr. This, I'm from Russia. I make the most ugly monster. If you look at it, you'll die. I, of course, made special glasses. Where I will not die. So I, I would lift up the thing and I'd look at it. And then we'd plant friends of mine. They're saying, what a load of rubbish. I'll have it. You want to come and try? And one by one, people come up. They look at the monster. The monster goes, and then they die. So people say, how much have you paid him? Next person comes up. So we've got about eight or nine people strewed across the stage, all dead, And then those days, the headmaster, I think the deputy head was on the stage. And then I looked over at him and the crowds are going, deputy head, deputy head. So he comes up and we put them opposite each other and he looked underneath and he thought he should die. But the joke is that the monster dies. The monster looks at him and (laughs) dies. So they both went backwards like that. And the roar of laughter, I never forget. I remember that the deputy head was on on the ground and because the the stage was shaking with laughter, because when there's that much laughter... Mm -hmm. The vibes hit the stage. And I remember thinking, the stage is shaking. And I remember thinking I was 12. I thought, this is a good feeling. I like this. And if I can do any more. So I did a couple of plays. The big moment for me was when I did the school play, the guy who wrote it and directed was good friends with Mel Smith of Not the Nine O'Clock News. Oh, wow. Okay. So he, he'd he been to Oxford and his friends were Mel Smith and he seemed to know Rowan Atkinson. And he, and he said, guys, I think Mel Smith's going to come down and watch you. Now, Mel Smith would have been about 28 or 29, quite young, actually. I think they're about 27, 28. And I'll never forget, he saw the play and he came backstage and he was very awkward. He wasn't introduced to us. There was no kind of proper ceremonies. He was just there. So I just went up to him and I hugged him. I said, you're one of my heroes. You're so funny. And he said to me, you're very funny. You should think about a career. And I remember thinking... Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? What have you been, th- what have you been thinking of a career? He goes, no, I think you can do it as a career. And I didn't, it, it didn't elaborate anymore. But it was the penny dropped about, <laughs> I'm not kidding, 10 years later. I remember thinking, God, Mel Smith thought I was really funny. And he said, he said you're funny. You have funny bones. Uh-huh. And you can't buy that. He said that. I remember thinking, I didn't know what it meant. Actually, interestingly enough, the first agency that took me on was Talkback, which was Mel Smith's uh, agency. So... Swings and roundabouts.
0: Let me tell you what other things you've got. I don't know whether yeah, you've on. just thrown yourself into everything that's there. So you did ask for a Pad Thai, and you've got one of those, Pad Thai with prawns. Mm. Chicken flame grilled in soy. Amazing. And there's vegetable stir-fry with ginger and mushrooms. Um,
1: I've got
0: that here. Yeah, I'm just thinking you could just feed the kids, if not, or how many of them you've got left in the house. Can I say, the ginger
1: stir-fry... It's so flavoursome.
0: Sometimes you can tell just by reading a menu that what you're looking at is not your standard Thai restaurant. And I think it, it's a very good one. A mile and a half from your house. How long have you lived in Ipswich?
1: I've been here for nine months. I've never come across this. This is amazing.
0: Well, I think I'm doing something for the uh, the Thai tourism industry. Well, I'm um, about to open a... I've got a Massaman, which is a coconut-based curry, and I've got my own Pad Thai. I wanted a matching. So where did the spark for stand-up? Because clearly you're trained as an actor, You've done enormous amounts of it. You've done lots of big films. We'll get on to that. But stand-up, which also involves a significant... you know, Obviously, you've got to write it as well. Yes. It's not just getting up on stage and all that. Where did that come from? Where did you think, maybe I should be doing this thing?
1: My wife actually said to me, you should try stand-up. She she seemed to know a lot about it. She was at Kent University, and she basically knew... She knew Alan Davis, she knew comedy. And after, I think, a year or two years into our marriage, she said... You should you should try stand-up comedy. She's a very very rare where a wife says you should give it a shot. And I said, Well what do you mean? Because you've been doing it. You do it at people's parties, you do
0: it at Did you stop rooms and and now Omid's gonna do a thing.
1: People would stop parties and say, Omid's oh, gonna do um... My main party piece was mimicking how really Ponzi actors take a bow at the end. So if there's and it would require at least fifteen people I say, it's a fringe theatre before. It's a fringe theatre production of Macbeth. Okay, it's really crap. You've sat for, through two hours. Give me a very unenthusiastic. so they'll be doing that, and I come out as an actor who thinks he's stormed it, and I just take a bow, pulling face like thanks, you know. Oh, you want more? Okay. It was all that. The actor who, who gives a standing ovation. I did a whole bunch of things.
0: I mean, this is good material, which stayed all the way through. You were, you, you did that at the end of your 2004 first appearance on Live at the Apollo.
1: I think so. I think I did. did oh, I? no, you did. I, I, I've <laughs> never actually watched the Live at the Apollo, but I, I had disco dancing routines. I did all the, all the things way as you develop a set go, going on. All those things went into my very first set, which was captured by Live at the Apollo, was my very first set. All the jokes i do at parties... All the jokes, I would do in comedy clubs. Because it was the first series of Live at the Apollo, it was the most repeated, so it was shown a lot.
0: I remember watching that Live at Apollo go out. It was, op- I haven't know it. it, was 4th of October 2004. And I wow. confess, I hadn't heard of you. and No you, one had. You did. Well, this is the weird thing, because you'd already been really successful at Edinburgh by then, hadn't you? Mm. In 95, 96, I mean, you were selling out rooms... You were getting big stuff. I was
1: nominated for the Perrier in 2002, so I, I was well-known in Edinburgh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, well, you, the first person from minority background to be nominated for the Perrier? First time ever, yeah. And yet, it wasn't until 2004 that this Live at the Apollo performance happened, and I honestly, I direct anybody to go and watch it. I remember watching and go out and thinking, Jesus, that man's done a bit of a, a star-is-born job, went out nobody-knowing, and is... is come off stage a star, because it was storming. The first nine minutes and 30 seconds in an accent. You even told the audience it was an accent, but they didn't quite clock it. I know. Because <laughs> then you drop it. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to do your whole set to you, but I, I sat there and watched it thinking, Christ, this was good. And yet, why had you not been picked up by television before?
1: This is really interesting. You're said you the first person to ask that question, because as soon as I was nominated for a Perry Award... I got a deal to do my own show on American television. So I disappeared. I went to America, but then that was 2003. Then the tanks rolled into Iraq and we said, we can't, we can't do your show. But Whoopi Goldberg had a show. And she goes, we'll have him. We'll have him as an actor. So I spent a year doing a show with Whoopi Goldberg on NBC. It was the lead-in to Friends last season the very last season of Friends. This is 2003, 2004. So we were on at 8 o'clock, Friends on at 8.30. So we were the lead-in. Big numbers. It was extru- extru- extraordinary. The first show had 16 million people watching, you know, and it was, and I was like one of the breakout characters. It was basically Faulty Towers where Whoopi is Basil and I'm a conglomerate of Polly, Sybil and Manuel. I play an Iranian handyman who's just there with her who just works with her that was it and and what's really funny we did a whole series the show got cancelled after one season she was so offended that they didn't take the friend slot because you know, she's a big Hollywood star yeah, sure. Oscar winning star but it didn't work out I only just got an email from her recently because she came to London last year just before pandemic she did a show and I went to see it and it was we were sending emails to each other and she kept saying, only you and Billy make me laugh. I love you and Billy.
0: Like meaning Connolly?
1: I didn't know who she was talking about. <laughs> All the time when I was working with her, she goes, you and Billy. And I never thought to ask, who's Billy? I assumed it was some American comedian because she had lots of comedians around her. She was very close to... It could it
0: be Billy Crystal?
1: I thought Billy Crystal. I just thought she meant Billy Crystal. So I thought, who's she talking about? It's only recently that I saw Billy Connolly's documentary where Whoopi Goldberg introduced him. And she said to me, I said, who is Billy? And she said, Billy Connolly. I said, why are you comparing me to him? Because you and Billy are the only two comedians I, I, I introduced to America. And you two make me laugh till I cry. And she goes, very few people make me laugh till I'm crying. And this is like off off stage. I'd always I'd always tell her some filthy stories. She loved filth. So I gave her filth. She made me do filth before the writers run through. She goes, oh, man, they're really boring. you got to warm them up. You got any filth? Tell the writers they need filth. Tell me, tell them the story you told me yesterday. (laughs) So I'd be telling filthy stories just to get the writers in the mood to see a run through. I did a show with Whoopi Goldberg for a whole year when you're working with an Oscar winner and someone who's who's as real as her. And I'd put this, this following thing in my head, which I thought was very important. She said, I got your back, baby. He goes, you are where Richard Pryor was 30 years ago. Now we look up to Richard Pryor because he was the first one. I said, please don't compare me to Richard Pryor. He goes, no, I'm not comparing you to Richard Pryor, but you are the first of your generation, of your people doing this. So you need support. So the black community will support the brown community. And that's what I'm doing, because I really like you. And I think you have to be now responsible that you're going to inspire a whole bunch of other people. And that kind of what happened to a lot of Iranian comedians and Middle Eastern comedians now. And she says, always be a role model. And, just, and the way to be a role model is is your she said to me just keep to your comedy keep the courage of your comedy convictions is what she said so she goes don't ever dilute what what you're doing and when they try to dilute you just get out so i've always i've been very thankful i actually didn't work so much because by by keeping to my comedy principles I rejected everything. So what were those
0: comedy principles? What were the things that you wouldn't do that they kept asking you to do?
1: To be in a film or a TV show that you don't think is funny, uh, to do to do things for money, uh, that was a big principle. Never do things for money. Do things for the joy of doing comedy. Always go with your instincts was another one of her principles and always be true to yourself. So if, if people are trying to, she said, don't, don't be afraid to, to be fired or to walk. Because if you're being boxed and in a way you don't like, just go. So I was constantly leaving big <laughs> projects. No, I'm not doing I'm, I'm leaving. And then that show was cancelled in 2004. As soon as I came back, I'm very lucky that Jack D, who had seen me at the comedy store, Jack D had really pushed this, who do you want? Because they, they had like Joan Rivers, they had Ardlow Handel. It was a
0: big first. It's worth saying in those days, it was one comic introducing and one, one act. That was it,
1: yeah. So Jack would do about 15, 20 minutes, then the second act would do... I mean, on the night, I did about 40 minutes, which was cut down to about 20, 21, 20, I can't remember.
0: Were you aware that you'd completely smashed it?
1: No, not at all, because in my head, I was being heckled and a lot of people didn't like me. They were all Jack's fans, so there were a lot of people who were quite disrespectful in the crowd, who were, like, sneering throughout. and stuff. Stuff that you couldn't see. They were like, you're not funny, fuck off, mate, you fat cunt. There was all that stuff going on from the front row. And I said, thank you very much Please come to my carpet shop I'll give you the best carpets So it was, it was But there's, a lot of that stuff Didn't make the final edit but, but I didn't think anything of it But afterwards I did notice That uh, cab drivers who had said Oh, I've seen you in that film Meaning The Mummy or Gladiator yeah. Then it went to Oh, hello, Amid they, knew, they suddenly knew me They knew my name And I think it was Because it was um, I'm very grateful to them Because they, they repeated the hell out of it
2: Hi there, I'm Ollie. I'm the executive producer on Out to Lunch. And this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Imagine you had the time it takes to have lunch, gifted to you each day, an extra hour. What would you do with that time? For me personally, after listening to Out to Lunch in a swanky new restaurant, I'd love to spend more time actually sampling the food there myself. Now, a lot of us wish we had more time. But in reality, if something is really important, then we make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. It can help you clear your head and take control of your life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Plus, it's entirely online to save those precious minutes. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already... BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash outtolunch. That's betterhelp.com slash outtolunch.
0: There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. The story you've told about going to a premiere of The Mummy. Mm. Weren't actually invited, but went anyway? I wasn't part of the main six, but I was... You know, when you have a call sheet, I was always number seven.
1: I made number seven. So I thought, well, I'm close to the top six. Because anyone anyway, under the next six, we don't get paid as much and we're not that important. But I thought I'd go anyway. And I went to the premiere, and um, the producer liked me, because goes, I'll get you in, don't worry. I was like, Kirk Douglas was behind me, Elizabeth Taylor was on my left. I think George Hamilton was there George Hamilton was on my right Kirk Douglas says, said Are you in the film, kid? I said, yeah, he goes, good luck And then what happened was I have a big death scene Where I run into a wall A scarab beetle's eating my head And then the projector packed up It just stopped And the lights came up And someone said We have a technical problem We'll be with you in two minutes And I just thought this is a real, They've just seen me up there This is a real chance I'll get up So I got up on the stage Literally walked up this is the Kodak Theatre where they have the Oscars. In LA. In LA. There's 2,000 people there. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, not amplified, I just want to say that was me. I just died up there. And I want to tell you all, if the projector does not come back on, don't worry. After my death, the film is a piece of shit. It's all <laughs> downhill. You're missing nothing. And then I just, there was a silence. No one laughed. And I just heard Kirk Douglas, who just spoken to me before them. he just went... Who the fuck is that guy? (laughs) And they pulled me off. They said, get off. And they took me off the stage. But then there was a round of applause. They gave me a round of applause. So I did a gag, silence. Kirk Douglas heckled me and I got taken off and there was a round of applause.
0: It was a very bizarre moment. What did your uh, producer who'd got you into the uh, screening say to you afterwards?
1: I think he told me off. He goes, the the film is not a piece of shit. The film is actually very good. That was wrong of you to say
0: (laughs) that. He really told me off people work very hard for this did you see any noticeable change in the offers that came your way thereafter
1: (laughs) well interesting enough i did do gladiator straight after that and that was that was that was a remarkable experience because that was the scale of that movie was i'll tell you how big the movie is yeah there was a guy hanging around set and i felt sorry for him so i just started talking to him and i said where are you from because i'm from germany I said, what are you doing? He goes, yeah, I'm doing the music. And I said, okay, so what do you do? I didn't even ask his name. He goes, yeah, I like to come and watch the f- film. And then I, and he'd sit down, and, he'd shut, he'd, he'd, and I'd laugh at him. I said, look, if you're coming to watch, why are you shutting your eyes? He goes, no, 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 I've seen the first, I've seen the first take, and now I'm imagining the movie. I said, what's your name? He goes, his name goes, My name is Hans. It was Hans Zimmer. And what was hilarious, I bonded with Hans Zimmer without knowing who he is. So every day he was on set. I said, oh, watch out, Hans. I said, have you done anything else? Have you done any other movies? And he <laughs> any other movies, Hans Zimmer? Yeah, he'd say, okay. yeah, yeah. But he, I don't think he'd done anything as big as Gladiator. He goes, yeah, I've done one or two movies. Yeah, it's great. I said, have you done anything I might have heard of? He goes, yeah, maybe in the 80s I did a do you know this show Going For Gold? <laughs> I said, Going For Gold. He goes, yeah, I wrote that. I said, you did not. I said, I know that. I know that. That's brilliant. Go And every time I saw him, I go, Going For Gold. And I think I did it too much that he started, avo- he started avoiding uh, me yeah. because every time I saw him, I sang it. I, goes, I said, I'm Henry Kelly, I rated and We're playing <laughs> Going For Gold. And he just started ignoring me and avoiding me.
0: What was your relationship with Russell Crowe like? on the set of Gladiator.
1: It was actually good. We didn't get off to the best of starts because they wanted me to befriend him because he was living alone and there wasn't a very good atmosphere.
0: What, the producers asked you to to become friends with Russell?
1: Yes, Ridley Scott said to me... I, I made them all laugh in the first scene. Well, You know when Oliver Reed grabs my nether regions? They'd all the, the, the whole crew had played a trick on me and they, he, he'd said, are you a method And... He said, do you mind if I really grab you? And he went down and grabbed my balls and all that. It was all that bit of fun. It was the same crew from The Mummy, and they all played a trick on me. And um, and they said, we'd like you to befriend Russell, because Russell likes English comedians and he's alone. It'd be good if you just just talk to him. I said, how do I do that? He goes, we'll bring you out to the set and uh, just talk to him. And just so You're going to be working with him the day after, so it'd be good to meet him. So... He was, you know, the scene in Gladiator where he chops someone's head off and and then throws the sword at the, and says, are you not entertained? You know, the, are you not entertained scene? Yes. It was like the nationwide league of kind of like, you know, Gladiator fights. And he's on the floor focusing and they brought me over and they said, I I mean, this is Russell, Russell's, I mean, mean, how you doing, mate? And I, and I stupidly said, hey, I said, hey, Russell, (laughs) I hear you're like alone. I'm a really fun guy. (laughs) Maybe we should hang out. He goes, "What are you talking about?" I said, "No, I said nothing." You were like by yourself, and all the guys and me. We take our tops off, a bit of pool, a bit of ping pong. And I think I was moving around a bit too much. As so you mean, and, I, and you I are I was, in
0: fact right now in front of the camera.
1: Yeah. yeah, as I was doing, I was like, my eyes were big, and I looked really excited. And I think I might have come across as a little bit effeminate. And he got upset, and they took him away. And then the next day, when we came to, free, he goes, "How you doing, mate? You all right?" I said, I'm "Fine." He was fine. So the. I asked his assistant what happened. They goes, "Yeah, people mistake Russell's focus for arrogance. I know you said we should be friends, but he thought you were making some kind of pass at him, and he thought that he thought that the producers had set you up to it. They think because he's alone that maybe he's gay, and that maybe I was some kind of gay sacrifice. And even if he was A gay, gay why would he?" I was like a gay sacrifice. And even if I was gay, he was thinking, why would I want a bald, fat guy like him in the first place? (laughs) And the the thing was. No, he he couldn't do better. Let's be honest. He couldn't get someone better than me. I'm a hairy bear. And then he thought it was quite funny. And then when I spoke to Ridley Scott nine years later, I said, he goes, oh, me, because it was when we did The Infidel, we shared offices with um, Scott Free Productions, and he said, Amit, how are you? And I said, oh, I remember my name. He goes, oh, how could I forget you? He goes, I'm so sorry about that thing with Russell. I said, well, did, did, was everything okay afterwards? He goes, actually, after you left, it was so funny. Everything got better. I said, but, but he did know that I wasn't like a gay sacrifice. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew that. He goes, well, what did he think was going on? You no, know, we told him that you're a big fan of his the film before called L.A. Confidential. And I said, what's that? He goes, it's the film he did. And we said that you're a big fan of that. So he left you... I said, is that what the pictures were? Because he left all these pictures for me saying, love Russell, <laughs> these pictures of him from LA Confidential. So they, and and I said, and he goes, but actually after you did that, things were better. And I said, no, so hang on, hang on. So things did improve. He said, yes. I said, so even though we didn't become friends and we didn't bond, things got better with the film. He said, yes. I said, so would you say you won an Oscar because things he goes "What? we could As would you say that I was a bit part of that he goes in a way we could I said don't be away! I won you the Oscar I was going yeah. if it wasn't for me that film would never have won an Oscar so do you think basically you were the fluffer I was the fluffer thank you Jay I've been, I've been floundering for words fluffer was the one I was looking for and I think that was it I was the one that actually broke the tension so yes that film there are lots of ingredients to, for a film to win an Oscar that was definitely
0: one as well as, you know, the, the stand-up career and the very long tours, you do amazingly long tours. You do sort of drop into films. I'm always wonder whether a character actor like you with those parts, um, you're a blessed relief when you turn up on set because they've all been together for months, Of you know. Yes. And then suddenly, fresh meat.
1: It's fresh anecdotes.
0: <laughs> as you know,
1: 95% of acting is just people sitting around talking. And usually they bring me in halfway through and it's for a, for a little while. It's all fun, and then they think about how do we extend his role so he can stay a bit longer. <laughs> I did that once. It was on a film. They rang me up. They said, "What are you doing? We're doing a f- shoot. Please, can you come out?" I said, "Well, we could. We'll write we'll write a role for you." Because they wrote a role. For me. I said, this is ridiculous. So we we're going backwards and forwards. This is a terrible role. He gets killed after the first two minutes. <laughs> they said, "We'll pay you whatever you want. Just come out." So um, they didn't pay me that much, and I went out. And I get killed in it, and it was really dumb, but it was fun. I think that it's it's actually very important I think when when you get on a set it's taught me how to be sociable it's taught me how people interact it's taught me more than anything human relationships because that's the most important thing. if there are good relationships, just like any football team like that, I think it's important that a a group of people actually bond that's why the film the mummy the mummy was a was not a huge budget film. But it was 15 people, all unknowns, who really bonded. We bonded, and as a team, we just fought for each other. And there's a film, Jay, you should know that's the film that saved Universal Studios. The film, the studios were going down the pan. You're probably wondering why there's a mummy ride and there's all this mummy stuff, because that was the film that made 600 million in its first, I think, first year or something. It saved the studio because it had lots of flops.
0: And that was almost certainly down to you being eaten by a carob beetle and giving a speech at the premiere in Hollywood.
1: Do you know what it was? <laughs> it was what? actually me having understood, because I'd been away with comedians to Adelaide the year before, and I knew and I knew the, the merit of bonding. So I, I took it upon myself to bring to to kind of bond the actors just by doing bits of my act and arsing around the swimming pool and making sure we all let together. That was because usually people just stay in their rooms. Actors are quite shy. They don't come. So it needed someone to bring people together. So yeah, I, I did learn that, you know, when you're away, don't see it as a job. You should be really happy that you're in this business and try and just be, be it's a tremendous privilege to be on a film and so why not enjoy the
0: experience to the absolute max? You have an enormous tour coming up. When I was looking at yes. it, it seemed to stretch somewhere into the next millennium. I mean, how many dates are there listed?
1: I think there's about 114.
0: And yeah, then I looked, the, looked and thought, is he, is he on tour or is he on the run? I mean, it's...
1: It, it really does look <laughs> like I'm on the run. I'm doing it because I love, it's my number one love, is stand-up comedy, and that's the thing I've missed the most, It's the thing I'm raring to do. It's the thing I think I was... You know without it I get very grumpy actually and then I become a fat needy man pleading for attention you know on zooms it used to be at dinner parties I was a bit calmer actually when I was doing stand-up I don't have to prove to anything but now I feel I'm always telling anecdotes I'm doing more podcasts because I miss my voice (laughs) (laughs) I miss myself I miss the stories I tell I've got good stories so I'm going back on tour hopefully if you go to my website – in fact, I hope that people follow me on Twitter. I hope that – usually when I do a podcast, I lose – whenever David Badil retweets me, I lose like 100 followers, you know. I often lose – I just lose followers. But I hope people will follow me on uh, – at Omid9 and go to my website, at, um, omidjalili.com, and all the dates are there, and it's a brand-new show, and it's
0: very exciting. Well, listen, from one fat, needy man desperate for a Zoom interaction to another <laughs> – Um, It's a good thing,
1: fat, needy man pleading for attention.
0: (laughs) That's what we are, pleading for attention. Pleading for attention. Can I say, I want to thank you for staying. Well, this is in for lunch because we've done it via Zoom and takeaways. It's been been great. I've really, really enjoyed it.
1: Jay, I've loved every minute and I've really connected with myself again. I've missed myself. And I feel so connected to myself, and to you, of course.
0: What you're doing with your hands beneath the lens is nothing to do with me. <laughs> do
1: you remember Bill Maher said, because he was been jerking off so much, his his, his dick has asked to see other hands.
0: <laughs> What's an open relationship? <laughs> Well, from one bearded man to another, that was an absolute delight. And as mentioned, Omid is doing a huge UK tour. Go to omidnoagenda, all one word, .com for a list of dates. Um, the food was courtesy of Quan that's K-W-A-N Thai in Ipswich for Omid's delivery. And mine came from the branch of Rosa's Thai in Brixton. And what a treat it was too. Uh, and remember, if you like comedians, and who doesn't, I have chatted to the likes of Jenny Godley, Stuart Lee, London Hughes, Tim Minchin, and Joe Brand. Do explore our archive for more. Uh, and while you're there share them rate them oh give us five stars you know it makes sense it all helps to allow us to keep making more of these out to lunch is a something else and jay rayner production the music was written arranged and performed by me jay rayner and robert rickenberg the recording engineer was gulliver tickle and the mix engineer was josh gibbs jemima rathbone is assistant producer the producer is selena Ream, with editing from ped hunter the executive producer is darby doris an additional production is from steve ackman and that is it for this season we will be taking a world is break for the summer. Until we get back, do stay hungry people.